Welcome to Dark Corners with David Allen Voiles. Dark Corners is brought to you by Gestalt Media, an independent publishing company dedicated to serving independent authors. Christmas Eve in the Graveyard It was in 58 that I saw Micah Donaldson's ghost for the first time. I know the year because that was when I lost Sadie. Of course, I didn't know who it was at first. Took a while before I knew that. It was Christmas Eve and I was feeling really blue because Sadie had died that year and it was the first Christmas I faced without her. We never had no kids, and my family had all died off, so it was an especially lonely time. I remember I was just sitting in my rocking chair here, staring out the window at the graveyard. I've been the unofficial caretaker of the graveyard for years, ever since I retired from the machine shop. They pay me a little something just to do it. It's easy money and don't require much. Just locking the gate each night and unlocking in the morning reporting any disturbances to graves or tombstones, and just keeping an eye on things in general. People always ask me two things. How can you live next to a graveyard? And have you ever seen a ghost? I always tell them the same thing. I'm not what you would call superstitious, but things I've seen have made me respectful. I'm not afraid to live here because I don't think ghosts would necessarily hang around in cemeteries. Why would they? They didn't have nothing to do with cemeteries in life, so why would they linger there in death? But the one ghost I did see in this graveyard was one that appeared like clockwork on Christmas Eve for several years. Yeah. Like I said, I was sitting by the window just staring out at the cemetery. The only light was the fire in the fireplace, and I had the radio on, and they was playing Christmas carols, of course, but I wasn't really listening, just staring and feeling sorry for myself. I'd look at an old Polaroid I had a Sadie, one of my favorites of her. She was 68 in that picture, and just as pretty as she was the day we was married, skin just as smooth as a baby's, even then. Well, I happened to look out at the graveyard, since that's pretty much all you can see out this window, and I saw a figure walking among the tombstones. It was a clear night, with the moon about half full, so there was a good bit of light to see by. Plus, it had snowed that day, which is unusual for Asheville, so it was lighter than usual for that time of night. I could make out that it was a man wearing a suit and a hat walking real slow between the rows of gravestones. And I remember thinking that was odd that he didn't have no overcoat or nothing like that because it was a bitter cold night. Something about the way he was walking told me that he wasn't just somebody visiting a grave. And then he did something that just sent a shiver up my spine. He stopped and looked straight at me. 
and I could see that his face looked like a skull with the skin drawn really tight over it. There wasn't nothing in his eye sockets, just those big old dark holes staring at me, even though there wasn't no eyes. And then he slowly raised up his right arm, and he pointed a bony finger right at me. I remember I was so scared, even though I was sitting in my own living room, that I started to shake. And then right before my eyes, he started to fade away till there wasn't nothing there. He didn't walk away. He just vanished. Well, sir, I don't have to tell you that I didn't look out that window anymore that night. But the next day, Christmas Day, I decided to go and take a look at the spot where that ghost had vanished. I wanted to see if there was any footprints that night to tell me if maybe some live flesh and blood person had been playing with me. So I put on my heavy coat and I walked over to where I saw that fella and looked to see if there was any footprints there. There wasn't area one. I even checked the rows closer to me than the one I thought it was and those behind it. But no one had been in the graveyard that night. No living person, that is. Well, there wasn't nothing I could do about it then, so I just went on about my business as usual. I didn't tell no one, because I didn't want them to start thinking, Oh, law, Ben's done gone around the bend. He's ready for the old folks' home. Eventually, I just forgot about it. Until the next Christmas Eve. I wasn't quite as blue that year, but I was still feeling kind of... Nostalgic, I guess you'd say. And I was sitting in that old rocker again, listening to the radio. Funny how we keep the same little rituals, ain't it? Even after our loved ones have gone on. Well, sir, I was looking out the window. I saw a figure walking again. That same old skull face. Just about the same place as I had seen him before. And just like before, he stopped and looked at me and raised his arm toward me. But this time, he, he started to motion, sort of like, come on over here. I was frozen in my chair, wasn't about to move. But he repeated the motion a bit more urgently, like, like he was irritated with me. I felt like he was scowling at me with those big old empty eye sockets. Now you're going to think I'm crazy about this next part, but right then, I swear, I heard Sadie's voice, clear as a bell, say, Go on, Ben. See what he wants. Don't know why, except for maybe I learned early in my marriage it wouldn't do no good to argue with Sadie because she was going to get her way no matter what. But I put on my coat and went out to the graveyard. It wasn't snowing that year, but it was cold. And I pulled that coat around me tight, shivering from the cold or from the fright, I'm not sure which. But I saw that my ghost was still in sight, but walking away from me. I stood there for a minute, not knowing what to do exactly. And I heard Sadie's voice again, clear, but kind of like it was more in my head than out loud, say, Follow him, Ben. You're going to lose him. I followed him up one of the rows, making sure I was pretty good ways from him. Wasn't like I wanted to make friends with him or nothing. 
till he stopped right at a grave. He turned and looked at me, which I admit made a chill run up my spine, and nodded. And then he faded away again. Well, sir, I eventually got my nerve up to go and look at that tombstone, since it was pretty clear that's what he wanted me to do, and I strained to see what was written on it. There wasn't no moon that night, and I couldn't make it out. So I made a picture of it in my head of exactly where it was so I could find it again in the morning. Well, the next morning, Christmas, of course, I went straight to that gravestone to see what it said. It read, Micah Donaldson, beloved son, taken from us too soon, born April 15, 1902, died December 24th, 1925. So he died on a Christmas Eve, yeah. And for some reason, he wanted me or someone to know about it. Well, I remembered there being a funeral right after Christmas in 25. Sadie and I had been married for a good while and we'd both commented on how sad it was to have a funeral around Christmas time. We knew the Donaldsons, not real well, but enough to remember, especially considering the circumstances of Micah's death. Story was, he was killed while walking home from work late that night. Shot dead on Christmas Eve and no one ever knew who done it or why. Well, there wasn't nothing else for me to do but go back inside. But I thought about that for a long time that day, for that whole year. Clearly that boy wanted me to know what happened. I asked around, but didn't find out much. Some folks said they thought he might have been getting into liquor sales, and this was doing prohibition, you know, which could be a tricky business. But that wasn't for certain. Another year went by, and when Christmas Eve started getting close, I found myself looking forward to it instead of feeling blue. That's kind of strange, isn't it? Me looking forward to seeing an old scary corpse walking around in a graveyard? But I was hoping that he would reappear. I wasn't disappointed. On Christmas Eve, I pulled my rocker up to the window and turned on the radio so everything would be just exactly the same as the first time. And I waited for Micah to come. I'm not sure why, but for some reason he took longer to show up than before. I'd nodded off for the third or fourth time when I heard Sadie's voice call my name sharply. Ben, wake up! I jerked awake and caught a glimpse of something moving in the graveyard. It was Micah, and he was already moving away from me. I'd almost missed him. I grabbed my coat that I had laid out beside the chair and dashed out of the house and into the cemetery. Micah kept walking past his own tombstone and on deeper into the graveyard. He turned up a row and walked about 20 feet and then stopped on one of the graves. This one didn't have a tombstone, but just a stone marker laying flat in the ground that reflected a bit of the light from the quarter moon. In fact, there was two markers side by side, 
like a husband and wife have sometimes. A lot of times, as a fact, since tombstones are expensive. He turned his old skull face toward me, and then he looked back down at the marker, and then he faded from sight. I'd brought a flashlight with me this time, and I turned it on and walked over to see what was on the marker. It read, William Sanders, born February 11, 1901, died September 30, 1941. And beside his stone was another marker, his wife's. It read, Sarah Morrow Sanders, born May 2nd, 1904. I knew Sarah Sanders. She was alive and well, although she had moved to Greenville after Bill died. Sadie and I both knew her from church, but neither of us liked Bill very much. He was often a big drinker, and he got mean when he got drunk. There was more than one occasion when Sarah came to church wearing a veil that we all suspected might be hiding a bruise or two. I'm ashamed to say that none of us was big enough to say anything to Bill, either since he kind of kept to himself, and we figured it wasn't none of our business. That was wrong. I know that now. Since Sarah was still alive, I decided, after mulling it over for a couple of months, that I would hunt her down and see what I could find out. To make a long story short, her kin told me how to find her and I drove down to Greenville to talk with her. I pulled my old Plymouth up and parked it on the quiet neighborhood street and double-checked the address where I had written it on the back of an envelope against the black numbers tacked up on the white siding of the house. That little old house with dark green shutters and a covered porch wasn't much, but it was well kept and neat. The soft pink blossoms bouncing on the summer breeze among the deep green leaves of a mimosa tree in full bloom in the front yard put me in mind of other summer days. Sadie and I would often sit in the shade of our favorite mimosa back home, and she would laugh as I told her stories of the men I worked with at the shop. Well, I got out of my car and slowly made my way up to knock on the screen door of the house. My heart was beating hard, and I wasn't sure why. I guess I was nervous about bringing up a sensitive subject for what Sarah would almost certainly think of as no good reason. I rapped three times on the screen door frame. Just a minute, a pleasant female voice called out. In the darkness of the house, I made out the shape of a woman briskly coming to her door who was well into her sixties, but one that many men would still refer to as a looker. She looked at me through the screen politely, but with a question on her face as she dried her hands on the apron around her waist. Yes, can I help? And her voice broke off. Ben? Ben Wright? Is that you? She asked about two octaves higher than normal. She lifted the small hook that had locked the door from the inside and pushed the screen door open for me to enter. She smiled broadly as I nodded a bit sheepishly. Law, Ben, what brings you to Greenville? She seemed pleased to see me, mainly on account of Sadie, I'm sure. Everybody loves Sadie. Sarah insisted on getting me a glass of lemonade when we finally had both settled in her living room and made polite small talk about who had died and who was sick 
because that's what all old folks do the world over, I'm sure. Without telling her why, I abruptly asked if she ever knew Micah Donaldson. Oh, Lord, she said with a smile, why in the world would you want to ask about that poor boy? I'd rather not say just yet, if you don't mind. But it sounds like you do remember him. Lord, yes, she said. He was the nicest boy. He was sweet on me, and we were talking before I started talking to Bill. Once I started seeing Bill, though, he insisted that I never talk to Micah anymore. Bill had a jealous streak a mile wide, and it didn't do to cross him. Well, how come you married Bill instead of Micah, since it seems like you liked him? I asked her. Oh, I was just a silly little thing back then. Bill had those big, strong shoulders and such a pretty smile. He could have been a fine man if he'd let whiskey alone. But Micah's folks didn't have two nickels to rub together. And Bill was making a good living at that time at the Chevrolet place. So my daddy encouraged me to forget about Micah and to focus on Bill. And the rest is history. Well, tell me a little more of that history. How did Micah die? According to his tombstone, he was only 23. Yes, that was so sad, Sarah said. He got shot one night when he was walking home after work. Bill said he had it coming to him, that he was running whiskey for a man in Asheville. But to tell the truth, that story never really washed with me. Why not? I asked. Well, because he just wasn't the type to do that. His parents were poor, but they were church-going people, law-abiding, and I don't think Micah ever drank a drop himself. Sarah paused in her storytelling and smiled, and I could tell she was remembering something special. It was around that time I had the nicest talk with Micah about what he was doing for his mother for Christmas. He said he was making her a cabinet for a set of china that she had been given from the woman that she cleaned and cooked for. I remember telling him I thought that was so sweet, and I gave him a little kiss on the cheek. Oh, land, that was a mistake. Bill happened to come around the corner right then, and when he seen that, he got so mad I thought he was going to explode. I couldn't leave the house for a week after that, if you know what I mean. I knew exactly what she meant, and I felt my cheeks grow warm. Would that have been about the time that Micah got killed, I asked. Sarah looked at me for a long while before she spoke. Yes, it was. And that's always bothered me. But there ain't nothing good that will come from looking into that now. No, I suppose not, I said. Ben, Sarah asked me softly, why are you bringing all this up now? This time I was the one who waited a while before talking. Just one more question, Sarah. Did you have feelings for Micah? If you had it all to do over, might you have married him instead of Bill? Tears welled up in her eyes, and I got the feeling that she was too choked up to speak, because she just looked down at her lap and nodded her head. If you really want to know why I'm asking, I'll tell you, Sarah. But to be honest, I'd rather not, I said. 
I thought it might just be too painful. Maybe one of those things a body's better off not knowing. Well, she just shook her head and gave me a sad smile. We both stood up and I hugged her and then left. Like I said, that trip to Greenville happened in the summer. So I had to wait a while to see if I could set things right with Micah. But come the next Christmas Eve, I was ready. There was a full moon that Christmas Eve, and the temperature was not too cold. This time I didn't have to sit by my window long at all before Micah appeared. He just stood waiting at the row closest to me, and when I approached him, still struggling to get into my coat, he turned and began walking deeper into the graveyard. I followed him to his grave where he turned and faced me. I can still smell the earthy smell coming off him. And yet it wasn't a bad smell at all, but kind of sweet. Like when you turn the earth in the spring for a new garden. Micah, I said out loud, I know what happened. And so does Sarah. She just wasn't strong enough to fight him and her parents too. She loved you, Micah. And she would have married you if things had just been different. We know that Bill gunned you down and that he got away with it scot-free. He stole your woman, and he stole your life. But if it's any consolation, he didn't enjoy his life. Sarah lived a life of fear, and he lived his mostly in a bottle till the day he died. Take some comfort in the knowledge that she loved you, Micah. You were her true love. If only the two of you had known it at the time. At that moment, Micah began to fade. It seemed like that old skull face began to disappear first. But before it did, I got a glimpse of what Micah had looked like at 23. I swear that there were tears running down his handsome face. But there was also just the hint of a smile. And then he was gone. I never saw Micah again, although I always sit by the window on Christmas Eve. But there's one last thing to tell you. When I got back inside after that last night with Micah, I heard Sadie whisper, You done good, Ben. I still sit by the window every Christmas Eve. But you know, I never feel alone now. And I have Micah Donaldson to thank for that. That concludes this episode of Dark Corners with David Allen Boyles. Music for Dark Corners was written and performed by Mombi Yulman and can be purchased at mombiyulman.bandcamp.com. If you'd like to hear more holiday horror stories by David Allen Boyles, you can find his short story collection, The Thirteenth Day of Christmas and Other Tales of Yuletide Horror, on gestaltmedia.com. Hope we see you again in the Dark Corners.